0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to an emergency. What the hell is happening? Version of the Premier League podcast from FanRag Sports. I'm Elliot Niblock. I'm joined today by, I assume, an equally dejected Paulie Quistel. Um We're going to talk. It's not even. It.
1: It's not what. It's not even what the hell is happening anymore. We're done with the <laughs> what the hell is happening It's what the hell happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's it's past tense. The U.S. has officially failed to qualify. For the 2018 World Cup in Russia, thanks to a shambolic performance in Trinidad that saw Trinidad score first an own goal from Omar Gonzalez and then uh, admittedly well taken effort from long range that it should have been saved by, by Tim Howard. I mean, I think that Tim Howard for 99% of his career makes that save, but, you know, here we are in one percent with an over the hill goalkeeper. I mean, we talked about it last week.
1: Do you really? I didn't think. I didn't think most goalkeepers would make that save.
0: Really, I, I, I think Tim Howard makes that save for through- I mean, I, I again, like it was, it was a, a fantastic strength, right? Like, let's. I don't want to. I don't want to take anything away from Torres. It was great shot, but I, I nonetheless. And nonetheless think that he, he, scores, he saves he shot. yeah
1: probably i mean he was out of position on it but at the same time at the same time no goalie would ever be in position
0: yeah, like yeah. Every, on that play like he, yeah that's fair he's always <laughs> you're gonna not be
1: expecting him there. to shoot like
0: yeah um but i mean the uh, you know we were texting before the match about omar gonzalez's inclusion in the team someone who's been you know prone to mistakes but most of the time those mistakes are, you know, not sending the ball into the back of his own net.
1: Well, Um, No, but most of his mistakes lead to that. Yes, They they most of the time lead to that. Remember like this is the guy that in the gold cup, we were counting as a goal differential person. Like you were responsible because he had two goals in the gold cup. And it was like, you were responsible for one or two or three on our end. And you made it up by scoring on the other end.
0: Yeah, and so Omar Gonzalez's own goal, and excuse me, I think I said Torres, I misspoke. It was Alvin Jones who scored that goal for Trinidad. Uh, Because of results elsewhere, mean that the U.S. are knocked out of the World Cup after Honduras defeated Mexico and Panama beat Los Ticos in a very controversial fashion, right? So, Polly, I know you've seen this goal, which really, you know, it didn't cross the line. But, it didn't come close to yeah,
1: crossing it, the line. It, but the, I'm surprised it was given other than the fact that it's CONCACAF. Yeah.
0: I mean, the 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 way that FIFA is kind of slowly nickel and diming its way into using goal line technology is absurd. right? It's, it, it's pathetic. And, I mean, this is, you know, we see all the time in matches that feature goal line technology the use of the replay with the ball in the net for shots that, yeah, clearly that was a hundred percent a goal. And then here we have one which ended up being crucially decisive for both Panama and ultimately the United States.
1: Right, but I don't even, I don't even want to go there. Like, I don't want to go there. Panama, okay, they scored on a really cafe goal, and and that's how they went through. At the end of the day, U.S. takes care of business. They're in. Like. Who cares? Well, no, we shouldn't have been worried. We shouldn't have been worried about what was happening in co- with Panama or Honduras. Exactly. Because we had to know that Mexico was going to lie down. And frankly, I'm surprised that they didn't actually physically lie down and just let Honduras score as many goals as they wanted to try to overtake, to try to make up the goal differential. But like, it, this comes down to us. And what it comes down to is, again, yeah, Omar Gonzalez in the team. Why? I don't know. Because we have Jeff Cameron on the bench. Uh, why didn't Jeff Cameron play? Bruce Arena trotted out the exact same team in this game, which I don't want to go too heavily into criticizing it because I actually agreed with it at the time. Um, I, in in a way, I agree with it. Well, I with, the with the exception the of Omar
0: Gonzalez. I mean, you you, know, you were telling me before the game that well, I liked the consistency, but we immediately agreed that Omar Gonzalez is the weakest link and I, the weakness of that link so much, is keeping us out of well, Russia.
1: It wasn't so much I like the consistency more of I like the fact that we're going to try to attack because it's Trinidad and Tobago. And what the hell are you afraid of? You know, they've scored five goals in qualifying. They'd only scored twice at home. You were making a big deal before the game that the pitch was waterlogged and heavy. So if that's the case, then there's even less to worry about coming back the other way. But then you started the game and... Your attackers didn't attack. Your midfielders didn't do anything to help out Michael Bradley. Michael Bradley didn't do anything to help out himself. Josie Alcindor couldn't pick out a pass to if, if if you were standing three feet away from him. And I saw that because he couldn't pass three feet away from him. I, you know, I would have, I would have, if, if I had my druthers about it, I would have went with, I would have went with, uh, Dempsey up top with Bobby Wood. I maybe would have went with Benny Failhaber over Darlington Nagby. I, I know you're a big Nagby fan. He, he had uh, a bad
0: game. He had, he he did not play.
1: It's well. not just. It's it, I'm not even looking at a bad game. It's what has he done for the U.S. Team? Yeah. Like I, what has he done? He's played. Twi- he's played in 24 games. He has one goal and one assist. And now he had a really good game where he. Where he played really well against Honduras at home, but so did everybody. Eleven guys had really good games that night.
0: Well, and I think what that I think that has a lot of done? I think that a lot of Nagby's skill in Portland is playing off of Diego Valeri, and you know, the only player who comes close to Diego Valeri's quality in the midfield is Christian Pulisic, and he hasn't had you know, they haven't had years together to build a partnership. But you know what, I mean it doesn't matter what you do for your club if you don't play well for your country then you're not going to get capped or at least you shouldn't be getting capped but
1: right that, but you know that's that's my question is what is a year ago this guy was so hyped coming into the copa america that everybody was screaming at jurgen quinsman every time he didn't start him. how are we not starting nagy how are we not starting nagy he came on in a few games and like i said he did nothing and at the time it sounded like I hate the guy just because he's MLS. I don't hate him because he's MLS. I have nothing against him. There are plenty of players on this team that I hate a lot more than Darlington Nagy. I don't understand. faint <laughs> <Standing> praise. <laughs> I don't understand. You know, then he he gets dropped from the team because he has that disagreement with Jurgen Klinsmann and it doesn't sound like he's very committed to the team when he said, "I don't really want to come sit on the bench. For you I'd rather stay home with my family." Yeah. Okay, so you're not that committed to the team. And then Bruce Arena gets hired. And makes a big comment about how he only wants players that are super committed. And the first thing he does is establishes Darlington Nagby as a first choice guy. Which yeah. okay, that's fine. Managers have their players. And and at when when Bruce Arena did that, Nagby played pretty well in a few games. But what has he done? And why why did he become undroppable? Why was all right, we have to make sure that Nagby's in the team. What has he done? Well, but I mean he has a goal and an assist and he's playing in a creative position, a position that you're supposed to have offense from.
0: I think we're losing the forest for the trees here though or for a single tree because the the thing for me is that the United States seems like Jekyll and Hyde sometimes because they came out against Panama and I was just like this is the US team that I want to see. This is how I want to see them playing. And suddenly they go to Trinidad, and you can blame the pitch. You can blame the lack of atmosphere in the stadium. You can blame the way the stars aligned. I don't care. But that team came out, and from the first whistle, I thought, oh, no. These guys look like they are uninspired, like they're flat, and they're playing as though there's nothing on the line when everything's on the line. And you know what? They've lost the line. It, lost falls the t-
1: it falls onto two people. The first, it falls onto Bruce Arena, and it falls onto the players. And the way it falls onto Bruce Arena is that Panama game, I, for, I think it was Graham Zuzi but it might have been Matt Beasler. After that game, he said, in my entire career, I have never been more prepared for a game. He said, from the moment camp started on Monday, the assistant coaches were coming at us with video of Panama. Coaches were pulling us off in training, talking about us, about what our role was going to be and how Panama was going to try to attack us. They said, we have never been more prepared for a game. on." Friday, before the Panama game, or it might have even been Thursday, Bruce Arena said he hadn't even thought for a second about Trinidad and Tobago yet. How can you do that? Like, <laughs> I get it. I get Panama. It was it was really like win or go home. Like, if you lost that game, you're going to be in a really bad spot. But at the same time, like, you still had to prepare for what happens when we win. We have another game to win. Yeah. And you needed to be prepared for that. And it, it's odd because... In June, when the team went to camp in June, they had games against uh, Costa Rica, not Costa Rica, uh, Panama at home. Um, Was it Panama? Yeah. Oh, no, it was Trinidad and Tobago at home and then a trip to Mexico. And Bruce Arena met with the team and he said, here's how we're going to play against Trinidad and Tobago. And then here's how we're going to play against Mexico. Now, yes, he had three weeks for that camp. But at the same time, he came in with a plan. He planned for both those things the same way that he planned for the game at home against Honduras, and then the trip to uh, Panama back in March. How did he not have a plan for Trinidad and Tobago? And then he comes out there, and the players just don't show up. They didn't show up. And Josie Altador is one of the players that was accused of quitting on Jurgen Klinsmann because we remember that Costa Rica match, it really looked like they quit on him. Well, they looked just as uninspired in this game, which is not – that's – that's it. I can't. You can't tell me that Bruce Arena didn't go in there before the game and say, "Hey, we really need you to play the game of our lives." Like this is if it, it's it's clearly not the manager. It's clearly the players. Like if the players didn't, they've clearly either quit on two managers or they just don't really care. And yeah. and that's a problem. And it's not like we didn't see this coming. Like this isn't the testament of this is this is not the first time that the two of us are having a what the hell happened yeah. podcast
0: it's, it's like, just the the gravest of them
1: we don't we don't have those podcasts after like a draw or anything we have them when it's like wait why the hell what why did we lose to Guatemala yeah well you, you know?
0: know you know it's funny one of the things that you said earlier in the show is that the US, you know, doesn't matter what happens with Panama, doesn't matter what happens with Honduras, the US just needs to get the job done. And they didn't even they didn't even need to do that. They just needed to scrape together a point to have the chance to play against the soccer ruse to make it into the World Cup. I mean, they they just needed to scrape together a point and they looked flat and totally incapable of doing that. I mean, they kinda sorta came to life at the very end, with Dempsey hitting the post, and it seemed like It only just suddenly dawned on them, with about fifteen minutes left to play. Oh man, we might be a quarter of an hour away from missing the World Cup. And but like you, the 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 lack of mental acuity and sharpness and preparation is flabbergasting. And yeah, I mean it's it falls on Bruce Arena. Like one of the things that we talk about in this show in terms of the Premier League. Yeah, not in relation to a lot of clubs, right? In terms of who your manager is, is the ability to have that halftime talk that epitomize is epitomized by Sir Alex Ferguson in telling the players, "You are better than this. This is pathetic and unacceptable. You need to go out there and show me that you are professional athletes who can do the job you've been assigned to do." And he clearly didn't do that because they looked.
1: It's time that, and again, like I. I said, in hindsight, I said at the time when the lineup came out, I was a fan of playing attacking. But when it didn't work, you need to realize that. And you need to make a change. And you need to say, okay, um, we need to pack in the midfield a bit more because our attackers aren't attacking. Maybe you pull off Josie Altidore, who literally didn't look like he had any interest in playing in this game. Maybe pull him off in the first half. Bring on someone that'll run all over the field like Kellen Acosta. The bottom line is, this is something that these players dream of. And they didn't look inspired to do it at all. And yeah. they've and this has been something that's been happening constantly. And this is the mess that Bruce Arena kind of inherited this mess, but he made it worse by not taking any risks. He just got safe. And when things got bad, he went even safer. Like the team needed a manager to come in and say, if you're not performing, you're not gonna play. And instead he went with all right, you have a big name. You performed well four years ago, so I'm going to go to you. And okay, like you're you stunk again, but you know I'm not going to give some kid a chance. And the program's been set back years now. Yeah. De- DeAndre Yedlin, John Brooks, they're 24 years old. They're the next World Cup that they could play, in it will be when they're 29. We just wasted their primes. Yeah. Those are our two best defenders.
0: Well, and, you know, one of the things... So, in our special segment with Brian McBride yesterday, one of the things that he said about Bruce Arena that he appreciated was how he, over time, builds a strong connection with his players. And, you know what, I'm all for that in many different ways in terms of, like, mentoring players, in terms of, you know, how you keep the dressing room atmosphere. But if you are the manager of a, a... supposedly competitive international side, when you are picking that squad, you have to be ruthless. I don't care that you want to go over to this guy's house for dinner. I don't give a shit that you know all his kids' names and even his dogs. It matters how he's playing right now. It matters how he can best serve this country on the pitch. And I don't... I, I just don't care that you have these personal relationships with these long-standing, as you say, big-name players. It. I, Great, good for you. But when the rubber hits the road, you have to choose the best starting eleven, and I don't think anybody believes that Jeff Cameron is in the part. Of
1: that. I mean, yeah. I mean, Jurgen Klinsmann came in and he dropped Carlos Bocanegra, and he didn't do it right away, but he did it. He did it during qualifying because that was time. You don't get to phase people out of national teams. You just don't. You have to. You have to say, hey, you played a great game uh, last month, but. That's it. You're done after that. You know, we're, we're going to somebody else. And Bruce Arena, he refused to do that. And, you know, we look all over the place. He never gave chances to people. We're, we're looking right now, and one of the things that we have to say is, who plays next to Michael Bradley? Or who competes with Michael Bradley? We don't know because the one chance we had to do that was the Gold Cup where everybody that played well, Bruce sent home, and he brought his guys back in. Like, all right, Tim Howard didn't stop that ball because he's old. Who else do we have? We have Brad Guzan, who we don't think is up to snuff. Who do we have after that? It's not even about Nick Romando being the third keeper instead of Jesse Gonzalez or Ethan Horvath uh, and just having them get the experience. Who's played? Who has played for us in a game recently? We just had a gold cup and we used Brad Guzan and Tim Howard in those games.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. How are we going to find anybody? We don't... There's... Like, we're now looking ahead. Our next competitive game is 20 months from now, and that's probably going to be an 8 nothing blowout against Martinique in the Gold Cup. You know, what are we doing until then? Yeah. Who who, are, who am I supposed to be excited about? You know, um, we're, we're at this point now where we're just going to... What are we going to do? Are we going to play friendlies? Who are we going to play? Because Europe is starting their Nations League, so we can't even play them. South America starts World Cup qualifying, like, five years ago. Uh <laughs> You know, their their World Cup qualifying is longer than is longer than a World Cup cycle. Who are we going to play? Are we just going to be playing Honduras and Costa Rica and Mexico on repeat for the next three years? It, it boggles my mind. But it's also at this point, you should never have you, Michael Bradley should never see the field again for the U.S. Josie Osador should never see the field. Omar Gonzalez should never see the field. Are they useful now? Maybe. You know, people have different opinions on that, but at the bottom line is the next World Cup is five years from now, and they won't be useful then. You might as well make the change now.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, I'm I'm thinking about the the swan song for Landon Donovan. It, it was three years ago, almost to the day, actually. And, yeah, it was like two days ago because
1: yeah. it popped up on my Facebook. Well, and
0: and he's I'm not saying he's not a great player. He's a great player. I'm not even going to go so far as to say that even the chance that Wondolowski squandered, that Jurgen Klinsmann was wrong to drop him from that World Cup. But what I am saying is that the whole fanfare surrounding that, you know, and I'm not I'm not even going to go so far as to say that he didn't deserve it because he, he did. He's an amazing player. But that is kind of a case in point for the complacency of U.S. soccer in that it's it's it's. Made- If you made it to this stage, then we're just going to keep patting you on the back for having made it to the national team. You know, like, this is it. You've made it. It's not, okay, now we're here to compete. And it just, it it drives me bonkers because it...
1: Well, I don't, I happen to think Dempsey deserves one and give him one last chance to score a goal. But at the same time, I do think it's very fitting if when all is said and done, Dempsey goes out as... um, equal to Donovan in terms of goals. Now, I think he would have had a lot more if he wasn't criminally, un, uh, not underused, but misused. He yeah. was criminally misused by Bob Bradley. And would have, you know, he only had 22 goals when Quinsman took over. So in, since Quinsman took over, that's when Dempsey started scoring. the The issue is U.S. soccer is they're not in the business of trying to make a World Cup. They're in the business of making money. Yeah. That's what that's what it's about to them. You know, I, I think it starts from the youth levels where we pay U.S. soccer to play. Uh, you know, that's that's what it is. U.S. soccer is they they are in the business. Uh, we wanted to talk about where do we go from here. It U.S. soccer needs to revamp something because right now U.S. soccer is trying not to step on anybody's toes while they keep trying to make money. I mean, there's a reason that every country in the world has a primary jersey. And a change color. You know, uh, England always wears white. If they're away, sometimes they'll wear red. If, but if there's no clash, they may not. Germany always wears white. If they're away, they wear green. The U.S., it's, hey, we have two jerseys, and we're going to make sure that we wear them both. So we're, we're, we're not going to wear our home jersey at home because uh, <laughs> because then we're going to go in an away game, and uh, we're going to have to wear that. The other team wears red, so we would have to wear white in the away game, and no one will see our red jersey, and no one's going to buy it.
0: Yeah, exactly. they you know i think that this is this is a, these are things that we're picking out that are small details but they're stand-ins for the bigger picture right it's like it doesn't matter that much the jersey you wear but at the same time it just it is one of the bricks in the towering wall that shows the prioritization of profits over creating a competitive culture for the nation right and it's but the at the end of the day the irony is that like the way to make the most money is to qualify for the damn world
1: cup. And we're about to go play three years of friendlies now, probably against, yeah. like I said before, Honduras and Costa Rica and Mexico. Do you think we're going to play any away games against those teams? No. Wouldn't that help us? Exactly. But both teams do like the U S isn't going to give up that. It, they're going to go and say, uh, we're playing this at home because we're going to make more money. And, At this point, I I like to think U.S. soccer fans are smart enough to just be like, cool, there's a friendly in town. I'm not interested. Like, I'll show up when you play a competitive game and when you put people on the field that I want to see. I don't need to see. You know, Taylor Twelman, just over the last day, uh, this morning and last night on ESPN, as angry and upset as he was, was so composed and was being so clear about Mm -hmm. what the problems were and what he needed. And he just kept bringing up insanity. Like, because Bruce Arena came out and said, "There's no need. There's no need for big changes." Yes, there are. Yeah. There's so much need for big changes because it's not just the team. It's not just the players on the field. It's the entire way U.S. Soccer is run to the point that there have been warning signs over the past few years, and we've been missing them. And it starts. It, this has to be our wake-up call, and it starts with U.S. Soccer has to say, "Look, MLS, like we love you, and you are great." For what you are, but you gotta stop like we have a national team to to look out for, and you have to just get out of the way on that. You can't you cannot have MLS be whining and complaining every time it takes criticism. You can't have a manager say, I want our top players to play in Europe, which is where they should be, Mm -hmm. and have MLS being like, Well, why what's wrong with playing in MLS? There's nothing wrong with that. Yes, there is. The 2010 World Cup team had 17 players based in Europe. The 2014 had 12. This current team has four, mm-hmm. and they didn't qualify. And, Bruce Serena, the other day you said, I would like to see those European hotshots come to Cognacaf and try to qualify. Well, guess what? Your team of MLS players didn't qualify. Yeah. <laughs> and I, years, I tell you what, the Netherlands ago, would
0: clean up.
1: Yes. Well, another one stinks. It's a bad example. But but four years ago and eight years ago, when the team was made up primarily of European-based players, those players who had to travel, they had to fly across an ocean to come and play down in CONCACAF in these tough away games, they all got the job done. But your MLS players who are cozed and babied and coddled, they did not get the job done. So there need to be wholesale changes from the top down.
0: Yeah. Well, we will talk more about this on our next episode. Uh, Thank you for
1: joining us. It it sucks. I mean, this, this really just, I didn't sleep last night. It really sucks. Like my, my favorite team is about to go to Anfield for our biggest match of the season. It's Manchester United, Liverpool. It's the biggest club match in the world. That's not Real Madrid, Barcelona. Uh, it's my favorite and most hated match of the season, the trip to Anfield. I, I, I can't even fathom getting excited for this match right now. I hate the sport.
0: <laughs> uh, well, we hope that even with your hatred of this sport, you'll stick around for our next episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I am KeatsWasBetter. Paulie is P. Questel. No more WFAN, right? No more WFAN. <laughs> And give FanRag Sports a follow as well. Oh, and I
1: just—I have, have one more thing because you just reminded me on Twitter. I've been hearing it all day from the promotion relegation people. Like, first of all, yeah, I'm all for promotion relegation. Never going to happen, but I do think MLS needs it. That's not going to solve any of the problems. No. Promotion relegation, all that does is it makes the bottom of the table fun and exciting at the end of the season. There's nothing better than on the last day of the season watching a team. Throw a huge party because they were just good enough to not be so bad that they got kicked out of the league. Well, and I mean, the, 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 is- the issue that the MLS has is squad depth. Like, stop expanding your league and expand your rosters. Like, right now, if if Michael Bradley is playing poorly for Toronto, he's going to keep his place in the team because there's no one that Toronto has that they can justify dropping Bradley for. And until that happens, until there is, until there is, uh, uh com- competition for places in the team. Like, Paul Pogba essentially won't get dropped by Jose Mourinho, but he can. Like, if, if United one day said we're going to go with Michael Carrick and Ander Herrera, people would be like, oh, okay, like, this team can get the job done if we're playing Crystal Palace. You know, Toronto could drop Bradley if he's not playing well. They won't. Because there's nobody to do it. There's no one to take place. And, in, and that breeds complacency and then you were established. And then the, the international managers didn't help. I mean, goes back to before when when uh, I just said Bruce Arena made Darlington Nagby a guy. Yeah. There's the complacency just it, it shows you need competition.
0: Yeah. I mean I, and I, I think that's the issue is competition whether it's in terms of squad depth. I don't think it's even squad depth. I think it's more just teams know that Michael Bradley is the, you know he sells tickets. People want to see him. People want to see Josie Altador because they're these big name players. But the, I mean that's the one word takeaway that we'll end on is that it is a culture of complacency versus a culture of competition. And I don't care whether you're playing football or selling cards, because if you are complacent, you're not going to do it as well. Far, like full stop.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, join us for the next episode. As always, uh, thank you for being with us on the podcast. We'll talk to you next